Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I listen to Bickley and Murata. Terrific show, by the way. I really enjoy it. Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Where's the guru? Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bickley and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Good morning. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How y'all doing, Valley sports fans? A big night in the Valley tonight. The debut of HBO's Hard Knocks on the Arizona Cardinals. Hello, world. Look at our football team. All right, we've uh, we've got a we've got a revamp lineup in today. Tim Ring in for Vinny. Jarrett Carlin, whose beard is coming in. Yes, his winter coat. It's his winter coat. Yeah, it looks good. No, it actually does. Yeah, you're one of those dudes who looks good in a beard. I look better with a beard because I have a weak chin. Yeah, I somehow, as I've grown older, I somehow have a weak chin and a double chin. That doesn't seem physically possible, but I, but I do. That's unfair. They call yeah. it, they call it the Mitch McConnell. And yeah. it's not a, it's not because, a good look. Yeah. Because the double chin isn't a chin at all. It's a neck. <laughs> yeah, that second chin is actually a neck. Very right. true. But the, yeah. the beard do, the, the beard does look good on him. It distracts from the face, which is good for you. Damn! Oh, he's <laughs> oh, fitting right in. Right You're away. off and running, baby. <laughs> and of course, Sarah the Ruthless is here today. <laughs> yeah, Ruthless. It's supposed to rain again today. Yeah. I, I could dig this every Thursday. It's cold it's and rainy. Wednesday. Kind of, Today's Wednesday. Oh, yeah, but, 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 but aside from that, it's okay. <laughs> you could dig this every Wednesday, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? Why not? Yeah. Love the sound of rain. Yeah, no, listen, it, it's it's really one of the fascinating things how we embrace bad weather in the valley. It's it's like every you get a bad day here and everyone's like, God, I love this. Yeah. Oh, this is just the best. Oh, I'm going to sit on my balcony. <laughs> I know. It's so in my ridiculous. Backyard. Tim and I come from a place back in the Midwest in Chicago. <laughs> it's it, 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 It's completely flipped. You're like, oh, no, not another day of this. Right. Where is, is the sun? Is there any such thing as like a warm Chicago rain, though? Or is it just no. well, cold all yeah, the time? I mean, maybe it's, in July. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, essentially, guys, right around this time of year, the sun goes away. The first snow hits. You don't see sun or grass again. Until about mid-April. Uh, here's what I say. As somebody who's lived in the Midwest and somebody who's lived in the desert, so I've got I've got both sides covered here, I would say this. Everybody gets nostalgic about snow until you have to drive in it. <laughs> Everybody gets nostalgic about winter landscapes until you have to live in them. Scrape ice off your car oh. at 6 a.m. <laughs> snow is beautiful when it first before falls. You, before yeah. you can drive it. <laughs> the, the next day... When it's piled up on the side of the roads and brown, 
It's not as nice. Uh, this is an honest to God, truthful story, and then we'll get out of the program today. One of the one of the early triggers that led me to Arizona was a morning just like you described. My wife used to work at the Sun Times in Chicago with me. She worked a day shift, so she would have to get up and get on the train every morning. Not me. I'm a sports guy, right? I roll in later and I work late at night. Okay, one morning she had to do it exactly what you're talking about. Go outside and it's it's ten below zero. Her windshield's covered with ice. She came in and threw the ice scraper at me. Said, get me out of this godforsaken city. (laughs) Because when when you're younger... And you don't have money, and you're living in the city. You don't have a garage, so you're parking yeah. like out on the street. <laughs> right. And right. so, if you have to leave early in the morning, yeah, sometimes you guys no. there's like you a, a half inch thick ice sheet yeah. on your windshield that the windshield wipers that the, the, it's uh, the, the ice the ice laughs it's, at the wipers. It, the, the, it's really you've got to live it to know just how bad it is. <laughs> Start the show, Jarrett. Splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The Splash. Animal. Animal coming. Animal coming. The Splash. Brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. All right, I already mentioned hard knocks, so we'll move on past that. Tonight, the NBA resumes. They were off last night across the board If in account and in respect for the election. Sun's back in action tonight in Minnesota. Chris Paul deemed to be a game-time decision. The team is saying they don't think it's all that serious. We'll see. The proof's going to be when he gets back out on the court. I wouldn't be all that concerned about it, except for the fact they need they need guys to put the ball in the bucket, Bick. And and, and not to be too cruel about this, but but it's not like Chris Paul is moving that fast, anyways. How bad could that heel be stopping him? It's also Chris Paul hasn't been particularly honest about his past injuries that's, and well, how that's, serious they are and yeah, how he's feeling. Yeah, listen, it, it's it's been quite something. I don't remember Chris Paul being this evasive with the media earlier in his career. I know he's never been an open book kind of guy. But he he doesn't see he he's about an all timer about keeping things to the vest close to the vest. All right, the first college football playoff rankings are out. It's Georgia, it's Ohio State, it's Michigan, it's TCU. You got some teams lurking. You got any thoughts on that, Tim? Well, you know, Ohio State, and Michigan are going to knock one of the other out. So that you know, this top four. Oh, that's right. It's of going. Course. It's going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia taking care of Tennessee. Georgia's going to have to play in an SEC title game. I don't see Georgia losing, though, Bick. I, I think at the end of the day, the, the Bulldogs They're are going to be good. in there. Will TCU crash the party? You know the college football people. They love the Blue Bloods in the playoff. They don't love people with purple uniforms. No, right. Like TCU, right. but if they win out, you'd have to think they, they, they you know, they're, they're, they're going to be there. Hey, listen, you go back to 2014, TCU was third in the second to final rankings. They won their last game by 55. And they still got and they dropped got aced out. out. Yes. Yeah, they don't like purple uniforms. And Washington's right probably the only team that ever made the playoffs yeah. with a purple uniform. Now Although the question purple becomes, Oregon <laughs> has been really good since that week one loss. And Bo Nix is really rounding into something. It, are they going to make a run? If it comes down between Tennessee and Oregon and both their only losses are to Georgia. Oof. Now, Oregon's got some work to do. I'd bet on Tennessee in that equation. 
Right. Th- not not because of who deserves it. I just, you know, the, the politics of it all. Yeah, you just know how it works. You just know how it works. All right, the Arizona Coyotes. How about this 14-game roadie, man? They're 2-0. They beat the Sabres 4-1 last night. Got goals from four different people. Karel Vamelka, Veggie, was solid in net. They're 2-0 on this road trip, for what it's worth. I can't believe a 14-game roadie. We were talking about it yesterday. I, I thought the Bulls' circus road trip growing up was long. Yeah. I thought the Spurs. What, what is the Spurs? The, Spurs? the rodeo. The rodeo road trip trip was long. The locker room road trip of 14 games. Isn't that unbelievable? It's astounding to me. It, yeah, no, seriously. It's 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 kind of like cruel and unusual, and yet it's kind of just... This isn't the first time the Coyotes have been stuck with this. They've had some really bad schedules to begin with. You, it, I'll tell you what, you want to know when the all-time uh, schedule disrespect moment might be? When the Cardinals got their bye week in week one. Way oh. back in the day. <laughs> Way, how about that? How about that? Hey, you know what? We're going to kick off our football season. You guys can just hang out in the sidelines this week. Take your bye week. <laughs> yeah. You don't, normally, you don't normally show up anyway back in those yeah, days. Well, that's, so, I yeah, mean, just take the day it off. It was. It was completely a lack of disrespect. <laughs> and the fact that it's 120, it was 125 degrees at Sun Devil Stadium, so you could never open there in week one. Yeah, so whatever. Uh, and finally, the news that a lot of people associated with Brittany Griner and the Mercury feared the most. She's been transferred from a Moscow jail to a penal colony in Russia, and uh, those are no- notoriously bad and full of disease, and just uh, it's a bad, bad deal. And the part of it where the Lawyers don't know where she yeah. is. Yeah. Which it's, means the family does not know yeah. where she is. The transfer also started on Friday, and her legal team was not made aware of it until yesterday. Yeah. So. Their country, their rules, and that's, uh, that's this is the thing I was so afraid of for her when this thing began. She is just caught in a geopolitical hellscape. I, it's just, it's horrifying. Yeah. All right. All right. That's your splash. When we get back on the other side, the Arizona Cardinals, another must-win game. How many must-win games can you lose until you don't have any more must-win games left? That's a good question. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. I am Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports league. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Welcome back. Good, good morning. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Dan Bickley here. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. We've got the rest of the crew intact. Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell. We've also got a football team getting ready for a game in Los Angeles this weekend. A lot of noise around the football team. Not a lot of good noise around the football team. You've got an injured football team. Buda Baker, his injury, I think, is going to hurt more than most. Um, for the very, very reason, Tim, is that I think belief has got to be waning inside that room about where this is going and the ability for their leadership to pull them out of this. So when that happens, as you know, you can get you can get varied agendas. You can get guys who begin to shut it down, guys who begin to plan ahead for their next season, wherever that might be. You don't have guys selling out to win football games when you get beyond a certain point. When you cross the Rubicon, you, you, it, it all changes. It, it, it happens all the time to losing football teams in the NFL. Sometimes teams rally. Uh, we saw John Skelton Cardinals-led team rally uh, for a decent finish uh, you know, in this league a while back, but I don't get the sense this team, that's going to happen for them. I, there's There has to be right now some trust issues with this coaching staff, especially with the veterans in that locker room. They can say what they want publicly, mm-hmm. but the way this is going right now, boy, that that Seahawks 
that Seahawks loss on Sunday to me spoke spoke volumes about the the mental and physical disposition of this football team. That yeah. was a must win. Uh, some players went went on the record anonymously to ESPN saying we are considering this an absolute must win. And then you go out there and, and you and you lay an egg and yeah. you, you lose again at home, thirty one twenty one. And I know there's there's eight games left and and you can you can look at all the mathematic equations that you want, but there's just no indication right now, mm-hmm. especially. As the injuries pile up, that this Cardinals team is going to do a 180. And what concerns you, it's not only an injury issue, it may not only be a talent issue, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but also just the operational issues, the mental mistakes. I mean, eight pre-snap penalties. I know you and Vinny have talked about it these last couple of days, but to me, that that is just a poorly focused football team. And to me, when you have eight pre-snap penalties and you're committing false starts and have mm-hmm. to lay a game, to me that that always goes back uh, to the head coach. I just I always believe that when it, when a team makes uh, uh, an incredible amount of, of mental mistakes time and time again, and it kind of defines your organization. They've been a top five penalized team in the league every mm-hmm. year. Cliff Kingsbury's been here. I know, isn't that? that it's, is, it's unbelievable, and that is not a coincidence. No, it's not. And they've been a top three penalized team two of those four years. So top five, all four, top three, two of those four. And and that is not, as you say, by coincidence. So what is it about a coaching style that would lead a team to be undisciplined? What it is with football teams, and you know this as well, it, it's just the lack of accountability. If, if you do not fear there are severe repercussions for your mistakes, and they can come in any variety of manners. It, it could come in a, a loss of your starting job. It could, could come in a loss of playing time and snaps that you get. It could come in being embarrassed on a Monday during film study. It could come in with your name being up on a a white board that's called an accountability board, like Bruce Arian said. There's any number of ways that hardcore football coaches implement to get guys afraid of, of mental errors, because that is something that is in your control. Look how many false starts year in and year out the Patriots have under Belichick. Just go back and check. Not many. Just go back and check. They're not tolerated. And you mentioned, there's something else I want to get into, because this was really brushed over by the organization and brushed over by a lot of people, because it was just, quote, you know, Kyler being competitive and wanting to win. And while that may be fine, and there may be a modicum of truth in that, but Vic, you mentioned fear, right? Fear, fear of accountability, fear of the head coach, fear of letting your team down. And just overall fear, like the way players used to fear Bill Parcells, or going back the way players used to fear a Vince Lombardi. Okay, so when Kyler Murray comes over and starts cussing out his coach in the middle of a game, mm-hmm. while others may dismiss that, and I always respect other people's opinion, to me, that Kyler Murray felt that he was empowered to to do that to his head coach, and I don't care if it's mm-hmm. the heat of the moment or not, spoke to me that there's not a lot of fear there, that that is a relationship that is a little different than your normal player-coach relationship. No doubt about and it. And not in a good way. Okay, and you're I just, so right. And I don't think, and again, maybe I'm a little old school, I, I, to, just, to use the, the, two, the three coaches I just gave uh, examples of, I don't think Tom Brady, even with a handful of Super Bowl rings would ever walk over to Bill Belichick and tell him to calm the F down. Never. I don't think Phil Simms would walk over to Bill Parcells and ever tell him to calm the F down. And I damn sure know that Bart Starr would never walk over to Vince Lombardi <laughs> and do that. <laughs> well, they're both dead. Yeah, they're, they're both dead. Not going to do that. Uh, he'd be, you'd be cut. Mm-hmm. 
But yet, yet, yet our young quarterback is empowered to do that, and that's fine if you want to brush well, it off and say he's just a competitor that wants to win. And that's but it, to me, it's it spoke to the nature of that relationship. And again, it goes back to fear and a lack of fear and a lack of accountability that maybe we see manifest itself in other ways on a football field: poor snaps, mental errors, penalties, drop passes. All these, all all these elements of a football team that have kind of defined the Cardinals in the Kingsbury era. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you're right on the money about that, and it and it's and I do agree with you um, as it relates to that. A lot of people have kind of brushed off the idea that well, that's just Kyler Murray. He's just petulant. He's spoiled. He's entitled. And there might be some of that. But every football coach that that has a level of success, there's an authoritative side to that person. There's a, there's a parental dynamic here. No matter how um, how laissez-faire your parenting might be, you're not going to allow your child to come up and tell you to calm the F down. There's There are lines you do not cross with certain authority figures. Yes. And you can do it with offensive coordinators. You can do it with a defensive coach. You can do it with an assistant coach. But the head coach in football has to be beyond reproach. You can't go up and you know, get in front of a king and badmouth a king without, you know, getting your tongue sliced off. How's that, Jared? For a this, Well, there's also something to the fact that, like, okay, you can confront them in the locker room, in a meeting, before the game, after the game, but yeah. to do it on the field in front of everyone in the cameras yeah. is almost like you're humiliating him and, and again these are the uh, emasculating right him. and then then you can throw in other other items there was you know DeAndre Hopkins putting himself into the game voluntarily um without you know that's that's another line football players don't cross you you don't you don't make head coaches decisions for them and that happens and then again this is just a visual so i i don't want to claim this to be a a a, a, a summary sort of description of of their relationships but when all hell was breaking loose last week on the sideline when Kyler Murray and D-Hop were kind of getting into it. Cliff came over and started talking to the offense. He was kind of pleading with them and nobody was looking at him. They were, all, they were all still talking amongst each other. The head coach is over here is talking to them and none of them are responding. I, that's a jarring visual for anybody who's watched NFL football. When the head coach shows up, you're listening to him. I totally agree. So, it, it, that, I mean, yeah. I, I, and again, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a, an authoritative figure and a dynamic yeah. that, that must be present. I'm not saying you can't be a player's coach. I would say Pete Carroll is a player's coach. Mm-hmm. But there's a, the, the, what he commands in respect and the authority uh, he bestows upon his football team is there and it's mm-hmm. tangible. And Earl I just, Thomas I just, waited until he was done in Seattle to flip off his head coach. Right, he was going off on a cart. He here. Was, yeah, it was here. It was yeah. here, and, but but it wasn't happening before that because that's you just don't cross that line in the NFL. Have you ever had a, um, seen a family where like the parent doesn't have control of the kid, where oh, the yeah. kid calls the the parents by their first names or something, mm-hmm. where they talk back to him and uh-huh. it's just like. It's cringy. cringy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, you can see the respect is not well, there. That's the whole thing, and you get what you expect. You get your level of expectations when it comes to children and it comes to football players, and it's important in football because these teams are so big. These are quite literally small armies of people, so you've got to have one guiding voice that will unite everybody. Otherwise, you're just going to have all this fragmentation. Well, you have to be a leader of men. Yeah. I know, and I've talked to so many NFL players, past and present, about that, like, what makes a good coach? It's not the guy who can break out the whiteboard and draw the, the, the and out scheme the other guy. It's about it's about leading men and inspiring a group of fifty three men. 
to play above and beyond their capabilities each and every Sunday to go out there with one common goal, playing together and achieve it. Now, you have to have talent, and you have to have some coaching chops when it Mm -hmm. comes to schematic ability. I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of guys that can get out the whiteboard and draw plays, even at the high school level. Mm -hmm. Okay, But what makes a great NFL coach? I remember I was talking to a guy that played for the 49ers when Vic Fangio was the defensive coordinator there. Quick story, because I think it illustrates our point. Uh, and this is before Vic ever got a shot at a head job. And what he told me was, we, this was the conversation we were having about what makes a great head coach, and he brought up Fangio. And he said, listen, a great defensive coordinator, but he'll never be a good head coach. He will never be a head coach. He will never be a good head coach. The reason why is he just doesn't inspire men. You know, he's always kind of moping around, and hey, coach, how are we going to be this week? And oh, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do. You know, and, and although he schematically was fine, mm-hmm. drawing up defenses and knowing what to call, when it came to his persona, the way he carried himself, the way he commanded, respected, inspired, was severely lacking. And I remember that because then he gets the job with the Broncos. And I used to work in Denver, and I told all my media friends about this conversation without burning a source, but just said, keep an eye on this. I, the players that played for Vic say he does not have even close to what it takes to be in a head coach, to inspire men, to lead men, to make critical decisions on the sidelines at critical times. And I always thought it was interesting because guess what? That's exactly what happened to him. What happened yeah. To him. It's, it's a very powerful thing when you get an inspired football player, but you've got to have great leadership to get that guy onto a football field. It's it, And that's obviously lacking. All right, coming up on the other side, the Suns back in action tonight in Minnesota against a team that may be looking for a bit of revenge. What do the next five games portend for our basketball team. We'll get into that next. Tim Ring, filling in for Vinny. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's a huge loss. He's a a big part of this team, an important part of this team. I think he had made tremendous leaps uh, in his role, stepping up um, and, and having an identity with this team. So losing a player like that is going to impact you immediately, but I feel like if any team is built for it, we are. We always have the, the next man up mentality, and um, it's no different now. We, we've been doing it every year when, when guys got hurt with, with Book and CP and, and Cam and, and and those guys. So we just have guys stepping up, and, and that's what this team is built for. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring, that the voice of Tory Craig talking about the injury and the surgery to Cam Johnson? Cam Johnson, who is going to miss a month, maybe two. It's a lot of basketball games for this basketball team to have to deal with. I I don't think Cam Johnson alone, the loss of Cam Johnson, even temporarily, is all that big of a deal because everything that we were hoping from a from and for Cam Johnson was was still to come, was going to be the quantum leap we would hope he would all take, that he was going to take this year. And, and he had one of those games earlier this season, and I think I think it's more of the cumulative effect of all the pieces that are no longer here and, and the the stockpiling of injuries and what it might mean for this basketball team and how long can they go just keeping it together with duct tape and that kind of thing. Because you're talking about now Jay Crowder, who is still off out in the middle of nowhere. JaVale McGee, obviously, long gone. Then you've got the injury to Cam Johnson. Now you've got this heel injury that Chris Paul is dealing with. And you're looking at a basketball team that now is asking Torrey Craig to be part of the starting lineup in a short-term basis. And there were some people who were wondering if he was even good enough to be a rotational piece off the bench. 
So it, the question becomes really, can this basketball team hang on and, and until reinforcements of some kind arrive? Well, here's the, here's the big question for Cam Johnson. And again, Bernsey and I talked about this yesterday on Burns and Gamble. So forgive me if you're in your car and you heard this. It's all good, man. It's all good. Um, Whether or not he's out one month or two months, I mean, people people kind of just kind of gloss over that. He's out one to two months. Well, that's a big that's a big difference. Whether or not you're out one month or two months, Mm -hmm. you're talking about possibly either 15 games or 30 games. And the loss of Jay Crowder now. And whatever's going on there, and I still can't quite figure out what has happened here, there must be something I don't know about or we don't know about as a collective group of media members and a fan base, because this makes no sense to me. But whatever, it is what it is mm-hmm. now. But Jay Crowder's departure, which already eroded the depth of the basketball team on the bench, is now exasperated because of Cam Johnson's injury. Had Crowder mm-hmm. been there, it's a real easy fix. You slide Crowder back into the starting lineup, and then you worry about you know filling some holes on the bench. Yeah. Now, Torrey Craig goes into that starting lineup, and a couple issues at hand now with Cam Johnson being out. Cam Johnson was really developing into the Sun's secondary scorer behind Devin Booker. Uh, Chris Paul has been reluctant to shoot. He's not shooting it well. Uh, now he's got the heel. I think Chris Paul's playing himself back into shape. I think I, Chris, hope. I think Chris Paul will be a better shooter and look for his shot more uh, as the calendar turns to 2023. At least I hope that will be the case. But I think they're going to have trouble scoring. And Devin Booker was a one-man gang against the Sixers, and I I know the Sixers have Embiid, so it was a one-game sample, but boy, without Cam Johnson out there spreading the floor, that paint was crowded. When Booker and Paul and Bridges tried to operate, man, balls were getting knocked away, slapped away, shots were getting blocked. Uh, They're going to have trouble putting the ball in the basket. I don't think it's a coincidence they scored 88 points in that game against the Sixers, because Booker needs some help. And Bridges, Bridges and Aiton, last point, Bridges and Aiton, can score, but I don't define either one of those guys as natural scorers, but they have to figure it out until Cam Johnson can, can get back. And, and and Bridges and Aiton have to be scorers. They have, you have to be able to drop them the, the, the basketball, and they have to be able to go get you a bucket. Or the Suns, in the absence of Cam Johnson, Bick, they, they could be around a 500 team. Well, uh, one, of the, serious. No, listen, one of the alarming things about the end of last season and the, those two playoff losses to Dallas, it wasn't just the the margin of victory it just it wasn't all that we saw what what really was weird to me was in pockets of those games there were a lot of shot clock violations against the suns there were a lot of possessions where they couldn't even get a good look they couldn't even get their ball to a primary score there were a couple of pockets in that game against the 76ers the other night that looked like that that the team just did not have enough firepower and enough scoring options available i told Vinny this yeah, Tyrese Maxey he's one of these players that is, it's, he's kind of like a Drew Holiday, but even more athletic and even more electric. And and players like that can cause Devin Booker fits in stages and bits and pieces. And, and Devin Booker still isn't at the at at the at the point I believe in his career where he can just carry a team from the first quarter all the way through the end of a game. That's uh, only the truly elite players, Kobe and Michael, could do stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And so so I I agree with you. And I think that. The other takeaway that is D.A. has got to be a lot better than he was in the second half against the Wolves. And I know that he had a little ankle issue earlier in the game, but he was really soft in the back half of that game. 
And they just, they can't have, they, it's fine. It, listen, if the Suns are winning games and those guys get you 14, 15 points, fine, whatever, right? Cam mm-hmm. is scoring, Chris is scoring, Devin is scoring. But in the Suns' current state right now, especially offensively, Bridges and Aiton can't come up with 14, 15 point nights or it's not going to be good enough. You watch tonight on the road against a good Minnesota team. Mm-hmm. If they don't get a big scoring night out of Bridges or Aiton, they're not going to win tonight, Bick. I mean, you talked about like Kobe and Jordan. Yeah, they have the ability to elevate and get you 50 on a Wednesday in, in November and, yep. and get a win on the road. I'm not saying Booker can't do that, but that's asking an awful lot. No, for, it is. For Book to go get 50 well, tonight to carry his team and, to a win. And look at the minutes that they played last game, how, how over the top that appeared in a game that just where things were not going well for the Suns. That showed you how desperate they were. It looked that bad, even with Devin Booker giving you 40 plus minutes on a weeknight. In Philadelphia. The fact they got that to five probably hurt Booker's minutes in terms yeah, of right that's, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if they would have just if they would have just, 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 just tapped get out their, yeah, get their, that never yeah. happens. Get their yeah. ass kicked right. and but just call it a day. One thing about the Suns is that never happens. Even mm-hmm. that's sort of what hurts them in the big picture is that they never give up on games. They never give up on these regular season games. Often last year, yeah. they'd be down big in the first half. They'd fight back and either, you know, win it in the fourth quarter or keep it close. And it's why they all you know wound up playing. A yeah. lot of minutes because they treat every single regular season game like they have to win it. There is no like, I know. okay, you know, this game's over with kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Like they were supposed to dial that back a little bit this year, especially when it comes to Chris Paul. The other thing, real quick, Vic, is that this was a factor even before Johnson got hurt. Bench scoring has become an issue. Now, Jock Landale, I think, has been a revelation. I think he's been a great find. Kudos to the Suns scouting department. I thought, I, I, I think he has filled the role of uh, JaVale McGee quite admirably, at least early on. Listen, yeah, I want to see how this yeah, whole thing looks in January. Let's see, to be how, honest let's with see you. how it plays. <laughs> let's see how it plays uh-huh. out. Totally right, but they're still they're la- here's the here's something that defined the Suns during their great run uh, to the to the finals and then even sixty four teams when they put their bench in they would not only maintain leads mm-hmm. they would continue to build upon those leads. Mostly because of the shooting, shooting of of the cams. Yeah. Well, now one of the cams is gone, and Tory Craig, when he was on the bench, is just not that shooter. He does mm-hmm. different things well, but the shooting of the basketball is not one of them. So you're seeing leads now shrink when the Suns go to their bench. Yeah. So that's been a problem. Now you know James Jones would want to fortify that with the trade deadline to make a run here in the postseason coming up. But that's an issue right now. Well, Sco- scoring now not only uh, in the starting lineup, but continually having the issues of, of getting. Consistent bench scoring beyond campaign, uh, and you you wonder really what is James Jones looking at here? Because and we're going to get into the Jay Crowder thing a little bit later on, but but to me you've got all these tradable assets at your disposal. You've got a Dario Sharage and his expiring contract. You've got a Jay Crowder and his expiring contract. You've got your whole cachet of draft picks just sitting there. So uh, again, are you posturing? Are you waiting for Kevin Durant to pry loose? Are you waiting for the right deal? At what point? in time is he going to be motivated to 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 kind of to cash in some of these chips he has it's going to be a fascinating question because the team is seven and three now and they're just fine but like you said what happens if you get you know this next stretch of five games is not going to be easy for this basketball team and big what if cam is out really two months i know. We're talking 30 games and then and, we saw last year and i think that's what it's going to be closer to tim because to yeah. be honest with you it, it, he's going to this is a contract year for him he's going to have to be real careful not to rush it back I mean, the fact that he's coming back with plenty of time to get acclimated for the postseason is probably good enough for the Phoenix Suns. But I don't, I don't see this thing being 
inside of six, seven weeks. All right, we got to get to break. All Coming right. up on the other side, the college football playoff ratings are out. We'll tell you what it means and, and if a Pac-12 team can crack that code. You're listening to Dan Bickley, Tim Ring. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. All right, the sport of college football has been pretty good the last couple of weeks. We're spinning towards a conclusion, another year with the four-team playoff. I think this year is sort of kind of illuminating to people that we need to get this playoff expanded as soon as possible. And they're actually trying. I mean, college football is trying really hard to get this in place for 2024 for a lot of different re- different reasons. But for now, it's still the same old paradigm. Uh, you had your first four uh, r- rankings, ratings, whatever you want to call them, released yesterday as expected. Second. So, I'm sorry. Second, second yeah. that's right. Georgia, number one after their uh, resounding victory over Tennessee, followed by Ohio State and Michigan, which is interesting. That's good for the Big Ten and Midwest football. But as you said, those two are going to have to clash. And and then the question becomes, will one lose um, to the point where they fall out of that? And then, you, as you pointed out, the team in the purple uniforms. Yeah. <laughs> TCU, the Horn Frogs. Oh, the playoff committee—they don't—they don't like outsiders. Okay. No. They don't like intruders like TCU and their covenant. No. Beautiful playoff every no. year. They don't like that. They like—they like the, the blue bloods. They like the Ohio states. So they like the Alabama. They do. They do. The oh, of LSUs. course they do. So he, so here's what you got now. So who do you have on the outside looking in? You got Tennessee, Oregon, and LSU are the next teams looking in. Oregon is obviously very interesting. They got waxed in the opening week of the season, uh, but ever since with Bo. Knicks at quarterback, they've started to look like a real kind of playoff caliber team. And and I think the Pac-12 would need something like that unless Oregon uses a college football playoff appearance to say, see ya, let's head over to the Big Ten ourselves. LSU, very interesting. They're coming off a very dramatic victory over Alabama, where Brian Kelly actually smiled after the game. Can you Seriously, people. I mean, it's like he he doesn't he doesn't show a lot of emotion. And I, what a moment that was for Jaden Daniels too. The two of them, you know, much maligned. Brian Kelly won a lot of games at his previous stop. Believe me, I had a front row seat for all of them. What he did not do was win a lot of big games, Bick. Mm-hmm. In fact, more often than not, thanks to Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. He got kind of embarrassed on the big stage. Now, a regular season game is not the national championship game, nor is it a college football semifinal. But but Kelly got his you-know-what handed to him by those guys more times than not at Notre Dame. For him to, to step up in his first conference meeting with Nick Saban, I think there were a lot of people that expected big game Brian, as mm-hmm. he was sarcastically known as, to fall on his face again. And he wins that football game with a gutsy two-point conversion call. And a lot of Arizona State fans expected Jaden Daniels to kind of go to the SEC and fall flat on his face. And there he is, out there in November, beating mm. Alabama. Yeah, might have, that now is turning out that it might have been a Herm Edwards ASU problem and you not think? a Jaden Daniels yeah, problem. That's, yes, I think, that, I think the football player I saw on that stage over the weekend was an indictment, a bad indictment of how they wasted the chance of a very dynamic football player with really no development at all. 
by the end of his ASU career, he couldn't even throw the football. Uh, right. I mean, they, they didn't have anything resembling a passing attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was basically just and, scrambling and running around for his life and losing football games. I and mean, he's was, been very, very. He's always he always had that clutch gene. Even today, as he he always had a preternatural kind of sense of calmness to him on a football field that really served him well in those high leverage situations. And that 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 end game scenario in overtime against Alabama was was proof of that. But again, I just I I thought I was watching that and I I could not con- contain my disgust for the previous regime at ASU. Just based on that. Because you had a guy capable of beating Alabama prime time on a Saturday night. And and that's what you did with him? All right. So, a lot of frustration. Uh, yeah. I, I, no, I, I fear you. I, I mean, I, boy, I could... I could riff on the whole thing for about twenty no. minutes straight. So, right so I look at this and, and and I say to myself, you know, it's it, college football is in such a state of flux that that anything that happens in the short term, there's no stickiness. There's no, you know, whoever wins the championship this year, it's it's all uh, it, this is all transitionary stuff into a new era of football, expanded playoff, dramatic conference realignments. None of it is done yet. So we're just in a weird kind of state in college football. And, but I think we're also in a good state, Dan, because I think we're getting out from under the blanket of total and utter dominance by Clemson and Alabama. Uh, for a while there, Bick, this, this sport, and it's 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 one of my favorite sports. I love it every Saturday. I drink it in. I, I eat, drink, and sleep it. But boy, I always said for a while there, it's the greatest regular season in sport, and it's the worst postseason. <laughs> because for a while there, man, uh, uh, Saban and, and, and Sweeney were just essentially alternating championships, aside from the LSU magical year with Joe Burrow. I mean, those guys had a stranglehold on the sport. And in the old days, as you know, when we were growing up, you could be the best team, but boy, you stub your toe in October, you're done. Well, that wasn't even the case anymore. Those two coaches could stub their toe, still end up in the playoff, and then good luck beating either one of those coaches and those rosters uh, with a month to prepare in the semifinal, and then boom, they're they're playing each other for the championship. It's also nice that the Pac-12 is finally kind of relevant. Like they're the only te- the only conference that can have two one-loss teams play in their championship game which gives them point. The, the advantage. You know, if USC and Oregon win out, USC will probably screw up somewhere, but if USC and Oregon win out, that's two one-loss teams in the championship game which none of the other conferences can do. Oregon's got two top 25 opponents coming up in the next couple of weeks, but both are at home in Washington and Utah. Utah's obviously always a tough out. Mm-hmm. Then they got the Civil War which they don't call it that anymore, but still on the road at Oregon State. So that's a that's a rivalry game, and then they've got the Pac-12 champion. And USC game. has UCLA and Notre Dame and, still. And, yes, and some people think UCLA didn't get a whole ton of respect in these latest playoff rankings for a team that already has beat. They've already beaten Washington and Utah, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, they've already beaten Washington and Utah. USC yeah. only losses to Oregon. Yeah. UCLA, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and we just saw them kind of run roughshod over the ASU defense last weekend. There are a lot of people look at this and go, Alabama is still too close to getting back into the playoff with two losses and a near loss to Texas A&M. They should, they should really, they should be about like 24th. Yeah. Does I mean, Al- they, have never, done, they haven't beaten anybody this year. Does Alabama have a pathway? If LSU wins out, can Alabama play in the SEC championship game now that they've lost that tiebreaker? To- no. No. Okay, so there you go. So Al- without that... Alabama is essentially, unless... There's no... If, if Alabama is a two-loss team and not a conference champion... They'll there's find no, a way to get them yeah, in yeah, there. Well, that yeah, happens. Watch. Right. LSU and, and Ole Miss would have to lose again. I guess Ole Miss plays Alabama this week, but... Yeah. They, they're both ahead of Alabama in the... 
Just, listen, I, I still think Georgia's the cream of the crop, and they won it last year, so it's not exactly quote-unquote new blood mm-hmm. because Alabama and Clemson are down there uh, out of the playoff picture. But I do think just not having those two teams is a breath of fresh air for a sport in the postseason that sorely needed yeah. it. We'll have these, this, this fresh new blood of Georgia, LSU, <laughs> USC, and Ohio State. Wow. Yeah, I'll body. But you know what? Every time college football gets a Cinderella. Do they ever pay off? Ever? True. Right. I mean, Tennessee had that kind of feel last weekend, and Georgia smothered them. Yeah, college football. Well, that's the other problem with the twelve-team playoff. It I mean, is, when's, yep. the, when's the last time the one-four playoff semifinal it was good? Was even totally. remotely competitive? I know. A one-eight. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine the yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, the one-four game pretty much sucks every year. It's usually it's usually a complete. Blow out. So, yep. yeah. All right. All right. The Cardinals go to Los Angeles this weekend, and the Cardinals are not the only football team with issues. We'll deal with the parallel realities of the Rams and the Cardinals next. He's Tim Ring. I'm Dan Bickley. We are Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.